Yesterday afternoon, as I was getting ready to pack and come down here, I went through my closet. You know, you have to decide what you're going to wear. Will, don't go too far, brother. Come back up here, Will. Come back up here. And as I went through my closet, I, I saw my pink slacks, and I thought, I don't look good in pink. Will kills it in pink slacks. I'm telling you, dude. You know, I, there's some things clothes-wise that some guys can pull off and some can't. Can you imagine me in pink? No. Will looks good in pink slacks. You did a good job, Will. Thanks so much. I enjoy working with Will, and I like to tease him now and then. Hey, one thing I like is oxymorons. Now, you may not know what an oxymoron is, and so what I did is uh, I, I looked it up on Wikipedia. Anybody know what Wikipedia is? Wikipedia is, you know, that computer thing that you can look up anything. And, and so here's the definition of an oxymoron. It's a figure of speech that juxtaposes elements that appear to be contradictory. Now you're going, huh? <laughs> some of you are. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to illustrate some um, uh, um, oxymorons because what I did is then I went to Google. You know, you can find out anything on the Internet now. I mean, you, you know, you really can. Um, and so I Googled, what are the top oxymorons? And you know what? Boom. I mean, long list. And so I clicked on one of these, the top 100 oxymorons. And here we go. Have you ever heard that it's, that was awful good? What? Oh, yeah, that was an awful good piece of pie. That, that was an awful good worship. That, that was awful good. Or how about, it was bittersweet. Bitter and sweet. But we know what that means, right? We say, that was really bittersweet. We know exactly what you mean. I, I like this, civil war. How can a war be civil? But we know what we'd say when it's civil war. I mean, You've got to be careful because you don't want to be clearly misunderstood, right? Or definite maybe. A few years ago, our, our grandson, we asked him about something, and he said, maybe no. <laughs> you know, definite maybe. Uh, how can you have a friendly takeover? That just, uh, you know, that doesn't make sense, but we, we know what it means. And then here's one of my favorites. Genuine imitation. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? And, and, and so about the time I was preparing for this sermon, one of my associates, he is in, um, he just got back, but he was at the time in Turkey. Uh, and they were doing a cruise, and they were in Istanbul. And, and here's the picture he posted on Facebook, and I thought, i got to share that. Did you see the sign there? Genuine fake watches. N not fake, fake watches. Genuine fake watches. Now, if you look real closely, you know, you can get a Rolex. Now, if you know anything about fake watches, a Rolex, I mean, it can cost you a boatload of money. I mean, you got to sell your first child to buy a Rolex watch. But you can get a fake Rolex. But you want to make sure that you don't get a fake, fake Rolex. Because everybody will know that your Rolex is fake. But if you get a genuine fake Rolex from this guy in Istanbul, everybody will be fooled. And they won't know, but the experts will know that you have a genuine fake Rolex. That didn't make any sense, does it? This is an oxymoron. Would it surprise you to know that the Bible has a lot of oxymoronic statements? It does. Let me give you a couple. One is this. We all know that salvation is a free gift, right? But we tell people, you need to give your life to Jesus. Now, wait a minute. If I'm giving something to get something, 
How is that free? I'm giving my life, but it's a free gift. Now, those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, we say it makes perfect sense. But to the lost world, they're like, mm, no, that doesn't make sense. Here's another one that, that, that may strike you as being odd. We talk about getting our true freedom when we gave our lives to Christ. In Christ, we're free, right? He set us free. And yet, remember, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. And, and Paul says, I am a slave of Jesus. How can I be free if I'm a slave? And yet I experience the ultimate ability to free myself to be what God created me to be when I became yoked to Jesus and I became his slave. It's an oxymoronic statement. It seems contradictory, but it's true. This morning I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that is another biblical oxymoron. If you've got your Bible... Turn with me to Luke 6.38. As I was with somebody the other day in services, they said, take your Bible or turn your Bible on. So turn your Bible on. I know you're not tweeting. You're actually going to be following me on the Bible on your smartphone or your tablet. But take your Bible however you have it. Or if you don't, it's on the screen. And let's stand in honor of God's Word as we read these words. Luke 6.38. Give... And it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want to talk to you this morning about an oxymoron to successful living. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your blessings upon the reading of this word. Help us to be attentive and help us to apply the principles that we will discover to each of our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Can there be any more oxymoronic statement than in order to get, you must give? And yet that is exactly what this passage says. And if you think about it, it runs counterintuitive to everything we think. It just doesn't make sense. It's against our human nature, if you will, to give things away because particularly as a result of the economic climate that we have been in lately. We, we're kind of getting in that hoarder mode. Any hoarders out there? You know, hoarders never, you know, oh, there's one guy that admitted, you know, rarely do they admit that. But we're becoming more and more in that, you know, because we're afraid that, you know, with the economy that's fragile as it is, why would we give things away? And so, you know, we're more into the mode of keeping and, and, and giving is, is difficult. And, and yet what Jesus says here, a key for successful living can be summed up really in one word, give. So I want us to break down that word and to break down this passage. And the first thing that I want to say about this is it is a personal word. It's a personal word. Now, I, I'm not a Greek scholar. In fact, I, I tell people all the time that if they had then, when I was in seminary, the Greek programs they have on computer now, I might have made a C+. Um, I had to just study and study and memorize to just barely eke out C's. And it's really embarrassing how many hours of undergraduate and graduate level Greek I have. Um, but can I just say that it is really Greek to me. 
You know, they'll say, it's Greek to me. It really is Greek to me. Can I also say this? Now, I don't know about Pastor Steve. He's probably a Greek scholar. But most pastors I work with, it's Greek to them too. When they say, and the Greek says, you know what they did? They do what I did. They go get a commentary where some smart dude looked it all up and he knows. And so here's what I did. I went and got some commentaries of guys smarter than me and discovered what does this word give really mean? And I discovered that it is in the personal mode. It's a personal word. It is personally inclusive. Now, Jesus certainly wasn't a southerner, but you could literally say, y'all give. That's what he's saying. You all give. Everyone give. In other words, this message today isn't just meant for the person next to you or behind you or in front of you. Guess what? It's meant for you. If you say, well, now listen, I've been giving all my life. In fact, I'm a tither. I give over and above and beyond tithing, so I guess I can check out. No, because this message is for me. It's for you. It's the message for all of us, and it is that we are to be givers. All of us. Literally, it means you give. Now, the second point about this personal word is not only is it inclusive, it's imperative. The imperative mode in Greek literally means give now. It's not talking about next year. It's not talking about someday. It's not talking about later. It's talking about that we are to give now, at this moment. I run into people all the time, and they'll... Tell me, well, I hope to give someday. I'm working on that. And what they're literally meaning by that is, 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 you know, I think is they just keep putting it off, keep putting it off, keep putting it off. And you know what? You'll never afford to be able to give if you're waiting to afford to give. It's kind of like having kids. Well, we're going to wait until we can afford to have kids. You will never afford to have kids. You just have kids and afford to have kids. And if you're a kid, you don't get that. But in 10, 15 years, you'll get that. And it's the same way with giving. If you say, well, someday I'll give, that someday will never arrive. All the time people tell me that, well, I, 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 don't, I can't afford to do that. All right, let's work on a plan and we'll get you there. It's amazing how they don't want to work on a plan to get there. If in a year's time you're still not giving, the issue isn't that you can't afford to give. The real truth is you don't want to give. The real truth is you really don't want to be successful in life. The real truth is, is you don't want to fulfill what God's word is. It is imperative. This is not a suggestion. This is a command that is given to us by Jesus. Now, the third thing I want to talk about this word is it is continuous. In other words, we're to give and keep on giving. We're to give continuously. We're not to stop. You're not to say, well, you know, I gave uh, last year. Oh, hey, you know, I gave to that uh, last month. No, you're to give and to give and to give and to give. Some of you are saying you got, you know, the church has got that down, right? Because they're just always asking us to give. And, and it's because the word here is, is that we give and we continue to give. A successful person never stops. A generous person never ceases to be generous. A giver never stops giving. And so we need to understand the same thing, that it is a continuous process. And then the final thing I want to say about this word give in terms of it being a personal word is this. It's an unconditional word. There are no ifs and buts about it here. He didn't say give if you can afford to give. Now, by the way, one of the things and probably the number one reason why people tell me 
they aren't giving is, Brother Mark, you just don't understand, I can't give. You don't understand, I've got kids in college. You don't understand, I'm in college. You don't understand, I don't have a job. You don't understand this. You don't understand that. I've got bills to pay. I've got all of this. A few years back, I came up with um, the top ten things Americans waste money on. This might surprise you. Uh, let me just read these to you. Number ten was apparel products. We, we spend $249 on average, or 0.5% of our annual expenses on pink pants. Um, number nine, um, I'm sure none of you here was uh, that tobacco, $380. Number eight was equipment, entertainment services, $400. Alcohol was seventh at 435 Fees and admissions, like the movies, you know, $628 we spend, or 1.3% of our annual income. Um, lodging, vacation homes, hotels, $672, $72 on average, or 1.4% of our annual expenses. Pets, Toys and hobbies, $690, or 1.4% of our annual expenses. Number three, TV, radios, and sound equipment. The Americans spend $975, or 2% of our annual expenses on those things. Gifts, you know, giving stuff away to other people, to your girlfriend, your wife, your husband. $1,067 is what we average, or 2.2% of our annual income. You know what the number one thing we spend money on as Americans? And, and, and by the way, some of you are going to think of this real quick because your stomach's grumbling. Eating out. $2,619 or 5.3% of our annual expense is spent on eating at McDonald's, Burger King, wherever. I don't have enough money to give. Yeah, you do. You just don't want to admit that you'd rather spend money at McDonald's than giving. Ouch. That was one of those in preachings. We call that a, an oh me moment, not an amen moment. But can I just tell you that the median gift to a church in America today is $200 a year. And that right now we give less percentage-wise to the church than we give to eating out. And yet Jesus says, give. And there isn't any qualification. If you know anything about the New Testament, you know that the Apostle Paul began to take an offering up for the poor in Jerusalem because they were under great uh, persecution. And so the churches around uh, the Mediterranean world that Paul had founded began to kick in and, and give money. And one church that had promised a lot uh, in terms of gifts was the Corinthian church. In other words, they'd signed the pledge card, count on us, we'll give you big dollars. Now, the Corinthian church was, was sort of like that downtown church, you know. They were very well-heeled. And what happened was is they made a pledge, but they never fulfilled the promise that they made. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians writes the letter, in essence, in, in, in a way to sort of goad them into doing what they said they were going to do. And he uses an illustration of the Macedonian church. And here's what he said. He said, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their Extreme poverty welled up in generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now again, the Greek word there, it means literally deep bedrock poverty. The Macedonian church was impoverished. 
They didn't have the money that the Corinthian church had. And yet they were the first to give. Why? Because they wanted to be a part of what God was up to. And they generously and joyously gave. Now what about you? Are you a giver? It is a personal word for us. We are to give. Now secondly, I want us to talk about the fact that it's a practical word. That's not specifically stated here in the text, but it really is. It goes without saying that what Jesus is saying here makes practical sense. Now we think about things through a lens that has been marred by the fall of man in sin. And so many times we view principles of Scripture and go, well, that seems weird or that seems odd or that can't be because our thinking is skewed in an incorrect way. It is the result of sin. And yet what Jesus is saying, give and it will be given to you, makes practical sense when you look at God's creative order. Because God created everything to be a part of this process of giving. Let me illustrate to you. Does anybody here garden? Does it, do I have any gardeners? I had a few in the first service. Is anybody awake out there that's a gardener? Okay, some of you are awake and, and, and you're gardeners. Well, I, I'm not a gardener, but my wife is. But we have a problem in our house. We have five acres uh, behind us of wooded land, and it's great because, you know, I don't look down at my neighbors. My neighbors don't look down at me, that kind of thing. It's private and all that. And so when we first moved in, we planted a garden, and we had jalapenos. I love jalapenos. And uh, we have these cute little deer. Oh, aren't they cute? No, they're not. Because they eat everything. I went out one morning and, and my jalapenos were hanging on the stems and every one of the leaves were gone. I took some sadistic pleasure in the fact that there was one bite out of jalapeno. Apparently deer don't like jalapeno. And I was hopeful that that deer's tongue was just like burning hot. I can't believe he's so mean about deer. I don't like deer because they eat everything in our backyard. And so consequently, my wife has to have a garden plot at the Swanee uh, Town Center garden area that they have, a community garden. We've had it for the last couple of years. And in fact, yesterday she called me. She said, I went by the garden and, and I got all these tomatoes. And I had so many tomatoes, I was dropping them. And, and, and you know, here's what the deal is. When you plant a garden, do you know what that garden does? It produces fruit for you. God made tomato plants so that you and I could harvest them, slice them, and put them on a bacon and lettuce and tomato sandwich. I mean, amen? Put them on a cheeseburger. Chop them up and make salsa. I, I mean, all of nature gives. Why do you think you should be any different? And think about this. Have you ever had an experience when you gave to somebody in need Maybe somebody's house burnt down or somebody had a health issue or there was some other crisis and, and the church said, hey, you know, we need to rally and support financially this brother or sister and you need to pull that money you, you gave. How did you feel? You felt good, didn't you? you? You felt a sense of being alive. Can I say to you that you were being what God created you to be? This is a practical word. Why is it that we view it so impractically and struggle to obey it? You need to obey the word. Then thirdly, it is a word of possibility. 
You know, again, our human nature, we, we sort of argue with Scripture sometimes. And, and I find it interesting because I can go to people and say, listen, do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth? Oh, absolutely. Do you believe that God parted the Red Sea? Yes, he did. Do you believe that uh, Jesus was born of a virgin? Yes, I believe Jesus was born of a virgin. Do you believe he died, was buried, and was resurrected on the third day? Yes, I believe he did. Was died. You know, all of that's true. He was resurrected. Do you believe he's coming back? Yes, I do. In other words, you believe the Bible. I believe the Bible cover to cover. And then we come to a passage like this. Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> Can I just remind you who's talking here? This is Jesus. Now, do, do any of you have those kinds of Bibles with, that the words of Jesus are, are in red? Anybody got a red Got a red letter edition. In other words, a red letter edition of the Bible is, is a, a Bible where every word that Jesus speaks is in red. So, so that you, you know the black is just the text interpretive, and you know what the author is writing, and the red is Jesus' words. And, and for those of you who got red letter Bible, is this verse, is it black or red? It's red. Now, to, what does that mean? Jesus said this. So, you say, I believe the Bible, and then if you say, I know Jesus said give, and it will be given to me, but I can't afford to give. You're calling Jesus a liar. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. You're saying, I don't believe the Bible. You just don't understand. I, 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 I've been in a tough... You just don't understand. Listen, I've talked with people. I've got a friend of mine in Dayton, Ohio. He went for several years here recently because of the recession without a job. And he kept giving. My parents are 85 years old, and I consider them very wealthy. The world wouldn't consider them wealthy. They're tithers. That means 10% of what they make they give to, to God's work. They were going to move into, a year and a half ago, move into an independent living uh, complex. You know, they, my dad still drives, still goes to the Red Cross, works, you know, those kinds of things. But he felt like, you know, it's time that we need to get, you know, to where we need to be. And they took a while to sell their house. And so my sister, I'm the baby of the family. I have a big brother and a big sister, and I'm the baby. And, you know, when you're a baby, you're always the baby. So she calls me up, and she says, we got to work with Mom and Dad because, you know what, they're still tithing. They can't afford to tithe. you got to talk to them. You know, I'm the preacher in the family. you got to talk to them. Now, can I just tell you, the first job I ever had, I went across the street and mowed my Uncle Bob's lawn, and I made a dollar. And my dad made sure that, that next morning I put a dime in the offering plate. I've been tithing all my life not an issue in my house i mean it was either tithe or you died you know kind of thing you know just, there wasn't any option you know so i grew up that's that's the, the bent of my parents so i'm like to my sister listen this is going to go nowhere this is, this is a non-starter but sure enough you know i'm back in tulsa where my parents live working with the church and so i sit them down and said okay let's have a couple so listen i'm not going to talk about tithing vicky wants me to talk to you about tithing i know you're not going to quit tithing but are you still supporting the capital campaign at your church that was over three years ago? Yes, we give $50 a month. Guys, the campaign's over. You know what? Our church still needs that $50. And you know what I did? I just shut my mouth. I'm not going to argue with them. I'm not going to change their lifestyle. And you know what? It all worked out. Don't tell me you can't afford to give. You can't afford not to give. 
this is a word of possibility. Every time God gives us a command, it is always a promise. This is God's promise to you. And then the final point is that it's a profitable word. Let's look at the rest of the passage. We've focused on the first word, give, but what does it say? It will be given to you. Giving is filled with rewards. Now, I'm not here to say if you give $10, you're going to get 100 back. If you give 100, you're going to get 1,000. That's not the point. We don't often get the rewards back financially, but we do get the rewards back. Our lives will be successful if we will be givers. It's part of the principles that are applied to our lives that result in a successful living. Give and it will be given. Notice what he says good measure. Press down, shaken together. Have you ever filled a jar and then you just kind of pounded it? What are you trying to do? You're trying to settle it so you can what? Pour more in. When our lives get unsettled, what it is is God getting ready to pour more into our lives. Now notice what it says, shaken together, running over and will be poured into your lap. It doesn't say it's going to be dribbled into your lap. It doesn't say it's going to be drizzled in. Poured into your lap. This is a promise from God. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now here's quickly three things, and they're not on the, on the screen, but three things to kind of sum up how this is a profitable word. First, understand this. In order to reap, you must sow. Now, if my wife had gone by the garden plot yesterday and said, where's my tomatoes, and never planted anything, she would be foolish. This spring we planted so that we might harvest. If you will plant, you will reap. If you sow, you reap. The second thing is we look at the rest of this verse in terms of it being profitable. You'll reap in proportion to that which you sow. You see, if you're miserly, if you're stingy, if you're hoarding your dollars, if you don't give, don't expect to receive. If you only give a little bit, you're only going to receive a little bit. Be faithful in the gift. Be faithful in the tithe. And God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing to you. And if you don't believe that, then just never say you believe the Bible. Because those are the promises of God. And then finally, reaping is not immediate, but it is inevitable. We live in a I-want-it-now society. And yet sometimes God's blessings are not just immediate. They seem to be delayed, but they are always inevitable. I gave reference to my parents at 85, and the world would say that they don't have anything, but I would say that they were rich. They've lived great lives, and they've had great blessings. And there are a lot of things that go into a successful life. This is just one of many, but I will say this. I believe that the one reason why my parents have lived a successful life, indeed a wealthy life, is because they've always been generous with their gift, even when they didn't have it. Because they always made sure the first check went to God. And then you know what? We just didn't go out to Pizza Hut when I grew up. And as you can tell... I didn't suffer as a result. It is inevitable. God's blessing upon us. This is a profitable word. 
it will work for you. Don't think somehow you are the exception. Have you ever heard of John Rockefeller? John Rockefeller, in the late 1800s, made incredible wealth. The irony of it is, not irony, I suppose, but it's an interesting story is he was a tither even before he was wealthy. 10% he gave to the Lord. He just was a very generous man. And then he became literally the, the, the Warren Buffett, the Bill Gates of, of his heir. He was one of the richest men in the world. But his health began to decline. In fact, they were wondering if he was going to live at all. And so he realized that he couldn't take it with him. And so he just started giving money away. You're going to die, so just might as well go ahead and decide where it's going to go. Because if you leave it for the next generation, they'll fight over it. And so he just started giving things away. And that's why there's a lot of buildings, the Rockefeller Center, and you know those kinds of things around the country. Because he just gave money away. An amazing thing happened. He got better. And he lived many more years. Now, I'm not saying that if you give, you're going to live you know, to be 150 or that kind of thing. But I'll tell you what, you'll be a happier person. Your life will be more rewarding. Your life will be more fulfilling. I work with churches and do a lot of capital campaigns. In fact, I helped you on a capital campaign a long time ago before we even saw that this was a reality when we were back downtown. And uh, I remember for several years ago working on a capital campaign, a friend of mine in Oklahoma, and he got up, and he, I'll never forget what he shared with his congregation. He said this. He said, you know, I don't have investments in the stock market. But a few years ago when we built this children's wing, my wife and I, we made an investment. We gave over and above beyond what we thought we could be able to give. But we made an investment in the future. And then a few years ago when we built a youth building we made another investment. And I might not have a lot of stocks, but I've invested in what really matters. And I happen to know that pastor, and he doesn't have a whole lot of money. Now, he hadn't missed any meals. But the sense of fulfillment and joy and satisfaction that he has received as a result of being a giver far outweighs having some old boat second house on the beach somewhere, or all the toys that society says is what we need to strive to achieve to be successful. What do you want to be known for? As being the one who, he who dies with the most toys is the winner, which is a stupid statement, isn't it? Or the one who is known as the person of generosity who made a difference. Because you see, even the smallest gift makes a huge difference. And even though you think your gift might be inconsequential, I can promise you it can make a difference. And if you will today begin on this journey of becoming a giver, it will revolutionize and change your life. I'm here to tell you, honestly, up front, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And I understand as now a small business person who readily knows how fragile the economy is and looks into the next quarter and says, Dear God, if you don't do something, we're going to go work delivering pizzas or something. I get it. But you know what? I've never missed a meal. And nor will you. Because God will always be faithful to his word. And his word to you today is give, give, 
because there's a lot of things in the scripture that don't make sense to our human nature. But if we'll follow them, they're the path to successful living. You give continuously, always, and then you will receive abundantly, overflowingly, beyond measure. For with the measure you give will be the measure you receive. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Father, we pray that as we move to the time of invitation, that that which you have spoken to us, we would put into practice into our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, in just a moment we'll have this invitation. But here's first what I want to challenge you. Guys, I, I, I know some of you have struggled with this. I, I know this hasn't been a fun sermon to hear for some of you because you just think, oh man, here we go again. You know, I got bills and I, I've got all of this. But you know what? If you will just start on this journey, you will be amazed at how at the end of the month, God will make it all work out. Will you trust God today? Not this preacher, but will you decide to trust God today? It will change your life. And in the meantime, you know what will happen? You will change lives. You're going to hear about mission work here in a minute. And you know what? How do you think that happens? People give. And lives are changed. And when you give, your life will be changed. And you will change the lives of those around you. And it just is a continuous cycle. So today, as we move to this time of invitation and decision, would you decide right now, to begin to believe God's word and trust him? Would you make that commitment right now in your heart? Lord, you know I've struggled. I know I ought to give. I put up a lot of excuses why I can't and just won't. But today, I'm going to get out on a limb and trust you. I'm going to start. Maybe it's start with a you know, dollar or $10 or $100 or whatever. But start on the journey. And you will be amazed at God's blessing. Now, there may be other decisions that need to be made today. The staff's going to be here at the front. If you need to come and talk to them about accepting Christ, I know I didn't talk about that, but God's Spirit may have been talking to you all week long. Then today would be a great day to settle that. Maybe it is you need to join this fellowship. God's been prompting you for some time. I know the pastor's gone. I know I'm the, you know, the fill-in guy. I know it's in the summer or whatever. But listen, if God's been calling you to become a part of this church family, settle that today. Be obedient to his call in your life. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have this hymn of invitation, and you come and respond. Father, help all of us. In whatever way you've spoken to us today, to respond positively to your Holy Spirit and whatever decision we need to make today, to do it and do it now. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now would you stand with me as we have this hymn of invitation. The guys are going to be here at the front to pray with you in any way, shape, or form. Any decision needs to be made. You come while we sing this hymn of this chorus. Come now and obey the Father's call in your life.